Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today we're going to be joined by Underdog Football's Josh Norris to talk about all things best ball. Podcast I've been meaning to get to for a while, talking about a new emerging kind of fantasy football, hitting the most fun parts to me about fantasy football. We're going to talk about what best ball is, how it works, and talk about some of the players who we are excited about and maybe worried about. Uh, at their current ADP heading into the traditional and best ball fantasy football seasons. But before we get into today's episode, sorry, before we get into today's episode, I want to quickly tell you about another ESPN podcast. When I tell you about every week recently, it's the right time with Bomani Jones. Of course, you know, Bomani is out there delivering the takes, delivering the insightful analysis, and he has great guests three times a week, including our friend, someone who was hyped up as I think like the most uh, exciting talent at ESPN, uh, I believe this week in Dominique Foxworth. I don't want to hype up Dominique any more than he's currently being hyped, but Dominique and Bomani are an excellent combination on Friday. So make sure you're downloading and following The Right Time with Bomani Jones wherever you get your podcasts. And also The Ultimate Fighter is back, the reality show that brings top MMA prospects together under one roof to compete for a UFC contract is on ESPN+. Featherweight champ Alexander Volkanovsky and Brian Ortega coach men's bantamweights and middleweights who have put their lives on hold for the chance to pursue their UFC dreams. Stream episodes every Tuesday only on ESPN+. So sign up now at ESPNplus.com slash UFC. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Without further ado, here's Josh Norris talking about best ball. All right, joining me now, here as promised, on the Bill Barnwell Show, a show I'm very excited to do. I have been... Uh, grinding a fair amount of best ball during the quiet times of the NFL offseason. And I'm very happy to have this guest on to sort of give everyone uh, maybe a best ball primer if you haven't played it before, uh, but someone who is very experienced and knowledgeable about this topic, a man who creates content for the Underdog platform, which is, of course, one of the places you can play best ball fantasy football and the host of the Underdog football show and probably the the nicest Aston Villa fan I know <laughs> to my to my knowledge uh it is Josh Norris Josh how are you it's uh me Tom Hanks and Prince William are like the three most well-known Aston Villa fans I don't know in what order you want to rank us uh Bill thrilled to be here longtime listener longtime consumer first time <laughs> caller so glad you've been basking in the sun of that hot hot best ball summer and I'm so glad <laughs> That we get to share this with everyone else today. Yeah, I'm excited. I, I really have been like last year I dipped my toes in. I, I I played a little bit here and there. This year I feel like I have really been diving in. I yeah. tried to figure out how I was going to extend that metaphor. It turns out it was really simple. Diving in was a really obvious one, but it didn't come to my mind, which is why I'm not as good of a host as you are, Josh. Um, I'm I'm really excited to talk about this because I think it's a really interesting way to approach fantasy football, really way to, interesting way to sort of think about the season. I think if you are someone who is um, inclined to play fantasy football, this is a really cool way to approach it differently. I think it hits some of the, the best parts of fantasy football and leaves yeah. out some of the parts I don't enjoy as much. And I think if you're not a fantasy football fan, I, I think this is a really sort of great bird's eye view way to think about the season, think about um, the league as a whole, where uh, you know, teams have depth where the league's going to change in the months to come in a way to sort of, you know, have a way to back your opinions. I mean, I'm someone who has a lot of opinions before the season. Some of them turn out to be great. Some of them, not so much, but uh, I, I think it's a good place to sort of, you know, put your money or your play money uh, if you want where your mouth is when it yeah. comes to sort of figuring out uh, how you see the NFL season going. So Josh, let's start with just the, the, the simplest part. Let's start with the broadest view here. 
explain the basics uh, of best ball, regardless of where it's played, whether it's underdog, DraftKings, yep. um, all the other different places around the internet where you can play it. To your point, it's draft only. And yes. I think a lot of people, when they think of fantasy football, if it's their office league, playing with their college buddies, whoever, uh, you put the most work and maybe the most exciting element of fantasy football is in your draft. And the mm-hmm. name best ball just comes from the, the style of golf match where, you know, you take your group or your pairings best shot and you go from there. Well, uh, best ball is just taking your best lineups, your best players each and every week. There are no waivers. There are no trades. You don't have to worry about, do I start this player versus this player based on the matchup at mm-hmm. the end of the week, best ball takes your optimal lineup and sets it. And so it's just the draft. And then you find out each week, obviously who has the most points in the, in the season, whoever has the most points based on that lineup each week, uh, the best one, then they win the league. Is that simple? Mm-hmm. I mean, Bill, I'm so close to the sun with best ball <laughs> that sometimes I forget that people don't know about it. I'm so glad that we are here to teach the people about it. Did I forget anything there? No, I feel like you hit the basics. Like your lineup is automatically set for you each week. So whoever produces the best performances, those are the people who end up in your lineup. You don't have to worry about, um, you know, setting your lineup each week, accounting for guys who are injured, um, signing guys off the waiver wire. Once you draft your team, right? it does feel weird if you're a traditional fantasy football player. Once you draft your team, you are done. You can watch it every week. Uh, I know I, there were times where I would watch my teams every week. I'm not going to lie. Well, you know, the teams that uh, were Dak Prescott based, I kind of just checked out after, you know, week five <laughs> or so. I just sort of, you know, I, I looked from afar and if something worked out great, but um, I wasn't checking those teams maybe quite as intensely, but I think you get, you know, like you said, the most exciting part of fantasy football, which is the draft. And, and I think in some cases, if you're a hardcore football fan, which I feel like a lot of people listening to the show are, I don't think there's many super casual football fans who listen to an hour football podcast every week, but um, I think that might give you the best opportunity because I think when it comes to traditional fantasy football, you might have your season come down to a waiver wire pickup in week yep. four, or week five, that um, you know, you're not going to have the opportunity to um, maybe get for different reasons that like you may, maybe you invested in a useful player, but not that star player with your free agent money two weeks earlier. But in terms of, you know, being able to press what you think might be an edge or what you think might be an opportunity, I mean, you're getting more drafts to work with. And so right. I think for me, that's what sent out to me is basically, I, I, if I think I'm smarter than your average football fan, which maybe I am, maybe I'm not, um, I get more opportunities to try and leverage that. And I think, you know, that's what's not to be, but for you, I mean, is there a reason why best ball stands out to you as a more interesting proposition or, or is it just that it's just one of the many ways you can try and play fantasy football to you? Well, I think there are a lot of uses for it. And I think we mm-hmm. all have that one league that we might put the most effort in as a season long. Yes. And I think that best ball is the best preparation for that league because mm-hmm. it prepares you for drafts. Um, I mean, obviously there are massive tournaments at every platform. We have one that's over a million dollars over on underdog for a $25 entry. So you can do that if you want to, mm-hmm. or you could just do like a $3 draft or a $5 yes. draft or a $10 draft. And it's not just like you're saying, you create one team that you track all year long. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like football Pringles. Once you <laughs> pop, you can't stop it because it's just so much fun because you can draft on the app, you can draft on a desktop. And again, once you do one and you like take the 102, then you think in your head, well, what if I get the 110 in my home league mm-hmm. and I want to figure out what I do at the end of the draft or near the turn, uh, you can easily do that. And it's the best way to test out strategies to be different roster constructions. And there's mm-hmm. been a lot written up recently on like the optimal way to construct a roster in best ball formats, how many you place in each position, because the starting lineup at least on underdog is one quarterback, two running backs, three wide receivers, one Mm -hmm. tight end, one flex, and then 10 bench spots. So there's no defense. There's no kickers. The things that give you headaches each and every week that you (laughs) lost by three points because I don't know, Justin Tucker nailed a 60 yard to close up the game (laughs) on Monday night football, right? We don't have any of those headaches on underdog. So um, it's one where, you know, do you load up on running backs early? 
Do you take one and then load up on wide receivers? How early do you want to take a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen, or do you want to wait and take two or three quarterbacks in the middle to late rounds? There are so many ways to attack drafts right now that we all have the same information at this point, and then you mm -hmm. can draft later on in the summer as well when we have new information as well. What I'm saying, Bill, is we can basically draft now in middle of June, or we can draft in late August, and we're going to come out, come out with different uh, rosters, and that's the fun of it. That's absolutely the fun of it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, you know, last year when I did probably a couple drafts right around this time and Antonio Gibson was going mm -hmm. in the middle rounds and that was great. That was exciting. And uh, the teams I had that were successful did have Antonio Gibson typically on them. And of course, as the, the summer went on, we got more information. Antonio Gibson, you know, started rising up draft boards and became a reviable pick. And I think maybe, you know, people who were playing best ball leagues earlier in the summer, as they approach their home leagues, as they approach more traditional leagues, had that information about Antonio Gibson. We're already thinking about where he might go. And maybe they took him around earlier than he would have gone in a best ball draft in June, but got him maybe, you know, uh, got him before the people in their league were even really aware of him, maybe heading into their draft, depending on, of course, on how complex and how intense your league is. Um, in, in terms of, like you mentioned, the idea of building different draft constructions, and and sort of having this idea of, you know, how, how you're going to approach a, a number of drafts as opposed to just maybe one or two drafts for a more traditional player. Um, how do you sort of manage the idea of having a portfolio of players? Like, I, you know, if you have someone you love, and we're going to get to that maybe a little later on in terms of players we love, how do you resist the urge not to take that player every draft? And like, like what are your thresholds there for in terms of how you're building, you know, this bigger thought of, of I'm going to have exposure to some of these players, but maybe not you know, a hundred percent exposure. It's difficult. I think that's the most difficult part is because we all have biases when we enter these drafts. Oh, we for sure. All, you know, watch these players during the season. We all have an opinion of them. And it's not just at the player level, but it's also the team level. And I would say maybe during these, I don't know, six weeks before training camp starts and then preseason action, it's almost certainly also where we just convince ourselves what we are saying is absolute fact. And then at mm -hmm. least for us who get on a microphone a couple of times per week, we kind of repeat those same things over and over and over again. Like I've been trying to think of this 365 days ago, there were so many questions about how the meshing of Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs would be where, mm -hmm. you know, Stefan Diggs was falling down in best ball boards and even obviously in season long drafts, mm -hmm. just because of, of, that concern. The same thing was with Keenan Allen and Terod Taylor. And there was no even thought that Justin Herbert could come in and look like the best young quarterback in the NFL. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I'm trying to question like what we consider now to be fact, like mm -hmm. trying to make a case for players. No one wants to make the case for, uh, I think that's a really interesting show to do at some point. And maybe I just thought of that and we'll do that later <laughs> on. Um, but then there's also the part of, you know, there are players in the same team and even in like, the same position mm -hmm. that are going back to back, like Raheem Moser and Trey Sermon are going back to back in ADP right now. Mm -hmm. And in best ball, you don't want to take both of them. Like you don't necessarily want like the entire uh, exposure to the 49ers backfield. You kind of have to choose your horse in that race. So like I might lean Raheem Mostert 80% of the time, but excuse me, Trey Sermon, and then Raheem Mostert, I kind of want 20% of the time. And mm -hmm. then like you also have T Higgins and, and Tyler Boyd going very similarly in drafts. Mm -hmm. And they probably play like a very different role and area of the field for the Cincinnati Bengals. So I'll always mm -hmm. lean one side. It's never going to be a clean 50-50. And I'm sure you think the exact same way as I do, because again, we bring bias to the table, either consciously or subconsciously, but it's something I'm trying to do and trying to think of more and more. And luckily we can do it as often as we want because we can draft whenever we want to. Can I tell you about one of my biggest biases from last year? Yes. It was thinking that Josh Allen was not going to be very good. Right. And, uh, that was a uh, not a positive EV uh, bias for me when it came to uh, best ball. But I did learn an important lesson, which is I, I think even if, you know, e even if I think that Josh Allen is not going to have the season he did, which, you know, full credit to Josh Allen, I was totally wrong. Um, you know, there is a place for him somewhere on your roster, you know, even if you think a guy is going to get injured, even if you think a guy is overvalued, um, there is a, at least some sort of percentage basis, whether he's on 2% or 3% or 5% of your rosters, um, where if, if there's value at ADP, if, if you have the opportunity to take a guy in a spot that you think makes sense, if you can stack him with another player, uh, like a quarterback wide receiver combo, like an Allen and Diggs, um, 
you know, you're going to be wrong a certain percentage of the time. And if you're wrong, Us? you know, you're still going to be, in, I, I mean, yes, I don't, I don't want to say you, Josh, but I'm going to say <laughs> myself, I have been wrong before. And I think that, you know, you have that opportunity where, again, where if you are drafting in one or two leagues, typically your traditional leagues, like you're not going to take Josh Allen if you don't think he's going to be a stud. And I know Josh right. Allen, the fantasy Josh Allen is different from the real Josh Allen. So um, there's a little difference there. But I do think that, um, you know, Stefan Diggs might be an even better example. If you thought Stefan Diggs was going to lose some efficiency moving to the Bills, well, you didn't take him last year in those two drafts. But if you're drafting 20 or 30 best ball teams, you're going to take him one or two times probably. And those one or two times, you're going to be pleasantly surprised yes. to be wrong. Um, in terms of the sort of players we're thinking about here when it comes to best ball, obviously, you know, the, the value for each player when it comes to fantasy football depends on the league rules, um, you know, whether they're super flex, whether there's PPR, whether it's half PPR, um, the different rules in the different settings. But on the whole, are there players who are better in best ball than they would be in a traditional fantasy football league, whether it's an archetype or, or even a specific player. Yes, there are. And it's kind of a phrase that has turned into a cliche that, Oh, he's better in best ball mm-hmm. at the moment. But I, I think that there's some truth to it. And typically that slogan is attached to players that you see on an Island game on Sunday night football or Monday night football mm-hmm. uh, score a 50 yard touchdown, you know, and yes. that's immediately 11 and a half points in your pocket. Let's say like a Marquez Valdez Scantley mm-hmm. or a Deshaun Jackson in yep. his past. And, you know, Will Fuller was, has always been viewed as that. Um, there is some truth to that because, and, and Hayden Winks, my co-host for the underdog football show, uh, wrote a, a post about this on, mm-hmm. you know, kind of quantifying better in best ball. And when you look at it, MVS and let's say Hunter Renfro scored basically the same amount of points last season. Mm-hmm. But since again, when we talk about roster construction, um, at least an underdog, it's three wide receivers and just one flex spot of those pass catchers. And maybe you draft eight, nine, 10 on your best ball roster. You need them to be among the top four scorers. So a Hunter Renfro, I don't know, six point production productive game. Mm-hmm. You don't want that to be the week that he is going to be in your lineup because that means really the rest of your pass catchers failed. Mm-hmm. Instead, you would like it to be the Marquez Valdez Scantling who randomly goes off for a 21 point performance or five, 17, 14, 19, 13 performances, Mm -hmm. you know? So the spiked weeks are absolutely true. Now, Bill, I do think that there is a bit of a a fallacy, if I'm using Mm -hmm. that term correctly, uh, in terms of chasing the only high upside players, because then it knocks down the likes of, I don't know, let's say Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley right now, an underdog, is going as the wide receiver 53, which Mm -hmm. is which is absolutely nuts to be honest with you, because mm-hmm. that is not factoring in his 2021 production at all. We have him as the wide receiver 54. Like if you look at his first few weeks of last season, he caught four passes for 58 yards, mm-hmm. uh, five passes for 70 yards, six for a hundred, three for 32 in a score, four for 45 in a score, 11 for 112. But people just view him as like the slot receiver mm-hmm. with like a low ceiling, but bill, what I was just saying of like one catch for 50 yards and a touchdown, that's great. But what if a guy also puts up, you know, five for 62 in a score and he does that mm-hmm. a handful of times per week. So that type of, of spiked week package can come from a whole bunch of different shapes and sizes. That's what I'm trying to say here. Can I tell you how angry I am at you right now? Why? Literally, literally, before you even mentioned him, I loaded up Cole Beasley's pro football reference page for the 2020 yeah. season. Bill, I was, I was him- typing the exact same thing. There we go. I was going to use him as the example of like a player who in week to week fantasy can be really frustrating because you know, he's valuable, but there were so many weeks where I'd be like, do I want to put him in this lineup? And like, I I think, you know, he is a really valuable player um, in in the right spot. And I think the cool thing about best ball is that, you know, whether it is Cole Beasley who has that, you know, solid week to week, maybe, but also then has those spike weeks or an MVS, you know, you don't have to drive yourself crazy making those decisions. I feel like for me, I have the least insight into should I start this marginal player or, you know, start this, uh, you know, 
borderline starter wide receiver versus this other borderline starter wide receiver. I think that's going to come down to more luck than anything else on a week to week basis. And so um, you can throw that out the window at best ball. Like it's going to pick it for you automatically. You're going to make those decisions really uh, on draft day, as opposed to having to worry about them during the season itself. And I think that's really good. Um, This is an enlightening conversation because it's also now making me realize that best ball removes our bias when it comes to week to week lineup construction, because let's say, I don't know, week two last season, mm-hmm. you were in dire straits at wide receiver in your season long league. And you picked up Nelson Aguilar, for example, mm-hmm. he averaged 10.4 half PPR points last season. That was ahead of guys that you drafted way earlier, like DJ Chark, mm-hmm. like Debo Samuel, like Michael Gallup, like Michael Thomas. But how often do you find yourselves, unless you can like completely remove yourself from the feelings and pre-existing thoughts that you have. You're like, oh yeah, Nelson Aguilar, easily. I'm going to start him each and every week. Um, but guess what? We Best ball does that for you. And again, it's crazy though, Bill. I say that. And then I think Nelson Aguilar is like one of the more undervalued players in drafts going right now. I mean, you're getting his team, his team's number one wide receiver at wide receiver 60 overall mm-hmm. ADP. And um, this is someone who obviously the Patriots completely invested in, they're going to run oh, a yeah. ton of 12 personnel, but they're going to have two wide receivers on the field. And guess who's going to be locked in to one of those at all times. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's going to be Nelson Aguilar. So getting that so late in drafts right now just makes a ton of sense. And this is a perfect example of bias because I hate the Nelson Aguilar contract. I think it was a bad overpay. And I know that if he has a good season, my mentions are going to be terrible. So even subconsciously, I'm like, do I want to pick this guy and (laughs) have to deal with, you know, social media? So nothing against him as a player. I think he's fine. Um, But yeah, I mean, you make total sense. And I think, you know, like, like you said, you know, you have the opportunity to act on that. You know, you might have a league if you're going to play two or three fantasy leagues where Nelson Aguilar might only get to you once, or you might have to take him for some reason, but with best ball, you kind of have that ability to have 30 drafts where you can take him at a higher rate than the competition. And if why stop at 30 tuitions, right? Why, why stop, why stop at 30? Why stop at 30 is a very, very fair point. Is there a max for the underdog million dollar competition? Uh, yes, I believe it's 150. So there's actually like this dumbbell or, or barbell approach that people are taking now where they mm-hmm. do like 75 early on. You're talking about edges earlier. And mm-hmm. Tony Gibson last year is a great example. I throw in Chase Claypool. Heck, yeah. I throw in James Robinson. Mm-hmm. You know, um, even this year, like when we launched uh, Best Ball Mania 2, right the first week of May, um, Trey Lance, Justin Fields were going as like quarterback 26, mm-hmm. quarterback 28. They have been on an absolute rocket ship all the way up to quarterback 15 for Trey Lance and mm-hmm. quarterback 17 for, for Justin Fields right now. So like if you drafted early, then, then you got them at a reduced price, but bill, as soon as we find out if it's during the preseason or if it's right before the regular season, that Trey Lance and Justin Fields are both starting combined with, you know, their Konami code, their, their rushing upside, Mm -hmm. which is just a nice floor for quarterbacks that we know of. Um, Both of those names could find themselves in redraft in your season long leagues up into like the quarterback 10 area, Mm -hmm. despite like it being a loaded position, despite those guys already having a, a ton of um, seasons on their resume already in the top 10, I wouldn't be surprised if we do find ourselves with drafting Trey Lance and Justin Fields in that area once they are named starters. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Now, I will say Matt Nagy told Chris Collinsworth today that there's no possible scenario that Justin Fields is the starting quarterback Wait, week really? one. That's what he said. He said, Andy Dalton is our starter. Justin is our number two. And we're going to stick with this plan. You just got to trust the plan. See now, Bill, mm-hmm. this, this is, I've been talking with this with Hayden a lot on our show mm-hmm. that just because so many of us on the outside, like the process and the pick and the decision mm-hmm. that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace made. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean we can trust them to make another good decision the next time. <laughs> you know, like just yes. because they made one good move doesn't mean they make another good move. And it just seems like they are all in on this Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes handing the torch, handling the baton. Mm-hmm. I just think the two scenarios of those two teams are so different with where we're at right now. I mean, I I, I will say that I am skeptical, but this is your chance, right? Like. Like if you are someone who thinks Justin Fields is going to be a starter by week three, 
Yeah, man. Like getting these quotes right now, or you have people skeptical, that is great. You can really back that opinion with, you know, your picks and back it with multiple drafts and get, like you said, you know, if you do a bunch of drafts right now, as opposed to later in the year, you can get Justin Fields higher than, or get it later than you would get him, um, you know, in August and September, where you start hearing all those quotes about, man, he's so great in camp. And, you know, Matt Nagy starts wavering in his, his chatter. You know, you start hearing the leaks out of camp that Justin Fields might come in. Um, you know, I, I feel like you have the opportunity to act on that. And I think that's the really cool part about best ball is that, you know, you have more opportunities to sort of, you know, uh, you know, how, how would I put it? You have more opportunities to take your opinion and back it up. And yes, I think there's a, you know, whether it is on underdog, whether it's on DraftKings, whether it's on Yahoo, I mean, there's a lot of places you can play it now, um, but a lot of opportunities. And I feel like we've, we've sort of hinted at it a little bit throughout the show. You mentioned Nelson Aguilar. So let's just get to it. I feel let's like this it, is something let's move some about. ADPs. Let's move some ADPs. I, I don't think I can. I don't think I have that. Oh, ability. come on. I would yeah, say, I would say that you do. Maybe Hayden does, but uh, I have picked out a few players who I think are better than their current underdog ADP. And I think this would apply across the board whenever what draft you're doing. Um, you know, yeah, they're very is. similar right now. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and I think whether it's going to be for best ball or for a traditional league, I mean, you're going to see ADP is kind of in the same range right now and things will change maybe as we get closer to draft day or closer to, sorry, the start of the season. But um, let's start on the positive side. Let's start with a few players who you think Josh are better than their ADP at the moment. You, also not, you mentioned Nelson Aguilar. Who yeah. else comes to mind for you? Um, I'll start at the top of the draft and kind of move down the draft board, but I'll just do one name so we can kind of go back and forth here. Like, look, five spots at one position might not seem as a lot, but Joe Mixon right now is going as running back 12, and we have him in our rankings as running back seven. Uh, Last year, he was running back nine in Mm fantasy points per game. We all know he only played six games. Yes. uh, Some by his choice. But I I, I think – you know, when we consider why we differ from the public, which is mm-hmm. ADP, I think a lot of it can be attributed to, you know, how much of the narrative do we want to buy? What case do we want to make for mm-hmm. this part of the calendar year? And I would say just point blank, the Bengals offense is going to be better this year. And even how good it was last year with Joe Burrow in terms mm-hmm. of putting up fancy points, it's going to be better off mm-hmm. this season. And I think even for Joe Mixon, uh, it's a massive change to not have Giovanni Bernard in that backfield because yep. we talk about targets all the time in relation to running backs. I mean, Gio had 59 targets last season. Mm-hmm. Joe Mixon averaged just over four per game. Um, in eight seasons, Gio, Gio only had two years with less than 50 targets, and all eight seasons had at least 40 targets. And in four mm-hmm. seasons in the NFL, three of Joe Mixon seasons have come in with less than 50 targets. And so mm-hmm. when you look at the rest of that backfield, it's what like Travion Williams, it's Samaj P. Ryan, mm-hmm. it's some random rookies and like Chris <laughs> Evans that they, that they brought in. Yes. They have hinted at it by their actions, by their words, that Joe Mixon is going to be a true feature back to them. And so getting that receiving work on top of being, I think, Bill, from an eye test perspective, one of the best runners in the NFL mm-hmm. that they've invested in offensive line as well. And you throw in that their offensive line coach last year, I think is now on the Texas state coaching staff. And they brought mm-hmm. back the one that uh, was associated to Joe Mixon's best season ever in the NFL to me, grabbing him at running back 12, where he's going right now, but all the way up to running back seven makes a ton of sense. I mean, I don't want to disparage your eyes, Josh, Uh-oh. but I, I will point, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing here. I will point out that if you want to trust someone who has maybe uh, a slightly more lengthy pedigree, nobody short of Bill Belichick has said that Joe Mixon Correct. is the best back in football. So I absolutely buy what you're saying here. I think it makes total sense. Um, you know, I, I, I really think that it's important when you see players getting hyped to see what else is happening um, when it comes to what the team is actually deciding. Like, you know, uh, maybe Shady McCoy a couple of years ago with the Bills where it was all through camp. Oh, he's going to be our guy. He's going to be our guy. He's great. But like the Bills were adding players. They had no reason to pick up um, the unguaranteed money on Shady's deal. Of course, it gets to the end of the, the camp. Shady gets cut. Um, right. With Mixon, there's none of that. Mixon has a clear path um, 
he has been invested in heavily. The Bengals don't get anything out of not using him. It's not like they have to save him for a couple of years. Like he's already getting paid. Like, like there, everything points to a, a big workload if he's available. Now, of course he might get hurt. That's not out of the question, but again, just because he got hurt last year doesn't mean he's going to get hurt this year. And the opposite is true. Like, you know, just because a guy was healthy a year ago doesn't mean he's going to be healthy again in 2021. So I absolutely agree with you. And I have a player kind of in this same space. I'll give it who to I you. feel like I'm I'm higher on maybe than people. And it's a guy who was the benefit of, or maybe to, I guess, to fantasy players detriment was irrationally hyped last year. And that was Clyde Edwards-Alaire, mm. where... You know, you look at what the situation was last year for the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, that was a roster that even before the injuries happened on the offensive line, there were more questions about the offensive line last year than there are this year. Where you have major upgrades um, throughout multiple spots on the line, especially on the interior. We saw last year that teams were willing to basically at times give up. Uh, against the pack, up against the run, just say, okay, we're going to play two super deep safeties. We are going to um, let Clyde eat. We're going to let um, the mentor, Daryl Williams, eat. We're going to let whoever else is on, in this roster, um, whoever else is going to get handed the ball is going to eat. And, you know, it was a rookie year for Clyde Edwards Alaire. Um, you know, of course, COVID did impact things. It wasn't like he was impacted personally, I think, but, um, you know, that it, it did change the way that. Uh, you know, rookies played some, of course, played better than others. But we know this is a team that has invested heavily in Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Giving up a first or using a first-round pick, even though it's a late first-round pick, is a pretty significant investment. Um, I don't believe Andy Reid has ever used a first-round pick on a running back before this point. I'm trying to think back to his time with the Eagles, and I don't think Brian Westbrook was a first-round pick, or um, Shady wasn't a first-round pick. I think Shady was a two. I mean, it's it's a big investment. Um, and there's not much behind him here on the depth chart. Daryl Williams, you know, a guy who the Chiefs have not used as a, a featured back. Um, Darwin Thompson, I know he was getting a ton of hype this time last year, but again, didn't look at the Chiefs really valued him all that much. Jarek McKinnon, a guy who has not really been able to stay healthy for any length of time. I mean, I, I think all the arguments you would have made in favor of Clyde Edwards-Alaire last year when he was going pretty reliably in the first round, um, I think they're even stronger this year. And again, last year was a season where the stars for the Chiefs were healthy and super productive with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And, you know, will they be healthy again? Probably. But are they going to play 17 games? Who knows? Um, so to me, I think Clyde Edwards-Alaire, someone who's going, you know, typically in the middle, late second round from what I've seen, I feel like that is an opportunity for a guy to maybe get first round value um, for a running back where you don't have to take a running back in the first round. If you want to go with a wide receiver or one of the tight ends in the first round, you might be able to get Edwards Alaire, you know, uh, in the second round and yeah. then get that value um, that you wouldn't have otherwise. I absolutely love this one. And I'm sure some of your listeners were shouting at us when we were mentioning the likes of Chase Claypool, James Robinson, and Tino Gibson that CEH was kind of in that same grouping of someone that was being drafted much later. And then Damian Williams opts yes, out and then he starts sure. going at like 107, 108 immediately. And he certainly didn't hit on, you know, that middle of the first round pedigree that we're talking about, but I feel like that's already being baked in here, Bill, right. because he's, he's going as running back 15. He's kind of the cliff of the tier because above him it's Antonio Gibson. Now it's Najee Harris. Mm -hmm. It's, it's Joe Mixon who I just mentioned at running back 12. And then after him, it's Deandre Swift, which there seems to be massive questions about. Maybe I'll talk yes. about him later. Uh, JK Dobbins and Chris Carson and Miles Sanders. So CEH is right there. And I even remember back to like week one, when we get that usage and he gets like six goal line carries and yeah. is unable to convert any of them. And some of that was on him. I would say a lot of it is on the offensive line. Yes. And obviously them coming short last season in the Super Bowl was much on the offensive line. And you bring in Orlando Brown, who is a true road grader who can, you know, create lanes, even if he's on the move for CEH, they might, they might run some more power this year. Obviously, mm -hmm. Joe Tooney is one of my favorite players in the league, extremely athletic. And then they've added more and more pieces along that offensive line as well. And I, I quickly want to throw in his receiving game because I think we forget mm -hmm. what CH was at LSU. I mean, with Joe Brady, he basically set SEC records in terms of receptions at the position. And last year he did okay. I think he had 36 receptions on 54 yes. targets, but just 297 yards. I mean, Bill, it's absolutely feasible that CH goes out there this year, catches 50 passes, 55 passes, 
maybe three or four touchdowns compared to just the one last year. That is an untapped area of his game that I think we see more of this year. 100%. And like you mentioned, six carries inside the three-yard line in week one, just three the rest of the season. I mean, like, I I don't think they gave up on him after one game of not being able to score inside the five-yard line. So I think there's really... You know, there, there's league winning upside here. Like, like maybe he gets hurt. Maybe he's not, you know, maybe they use him as a, you know, 60% snap guy and he's useful, but he's kind of in that range. Like, I, I don't, I don't see DeAndre Swift, famous last words here. I don't see DeAndre Swift having like, <laughs> like, like running back three upside. Whereas I feel like Clyde Edwards Alaire, you know, he might not get to that point, but you can at least pretty easily piece together a scenario where that happens. Yeah. I totally agree with you. Okay. I'm going to stick with the same position. All right. Uh, Damian Harris is going as running back 31. And this Mm -hmm. is really in relation to some of the other running backs that are going in this area around him, like Miles Gaskin. Some people really Mm -hmm. like Miles Gaskin, but overall, I also want to factor in like, not just in relation to other running backs, but also who at other positions are going in this same range. So Miles Mm -hmm. Gaskin is going as 85, excuse me, 55 overall ADP. So if I was doing the draft, I would not take Miles Gaskin there because I could instead draft Lamar Jackson or Kyle Pitts in that Mm -hmm. same area. And then Chase Edmonds is another breakout running back that some people like, but rather than take Chase Edmonds, I would much rather go in and try to recapture the ceiling of Odell Beckham, who's back and healthy and Mm -hmm. an offense that has a, a true identity. And so both of those players I would pivot to other positions and then just wait 20 spots and select Damian Harris at running back 31. We have Phil Perry, who's a a great beat for Mm -hmm. the uh, New England Patriots on the underdog football show. And he said basically that Damian Harris is getting the Sony Michelle workload until he proves he can't get it out of performance or, or out of injury. And this is a team who talk about changing their offensive style. I mean, they looked in the mirror And it was gross to watch last year. It was so difficult. It was manufactured touches everywhere. Um, They have maybe a top five offensive line on paper. If not Mm -hmm. that, then then top 10. They're going to create a bunch of mismatches with both their 12, with their 12 personnel, their two tight end sets. I wouldn't be surprised if they run some tempo to to keep those mismatches on the field. And if there is one team that they might try to mirror the most this year in terms of their play action passing game and running the football, it might be the Cleveland Browns. And Mm so rarely can you get someone who will have the workload until proven otherwise, at least on paper right now, than Damian Harris all the way down at running back 31. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think also, you know, there's the possibility that Cam is not starting for most of the season. And I think for Damian Harris, that suddenly opens up a lot of touchdown equity because Cam scored 12 times last year. And I haven't checked where those runs came from, but I would bet that 10, 11 of those came in short yardage. So to me, suddenly that opened, sorry, 10 touchdowns. I actually looked it up, 10 touchdowns inside the five-yard line for Cam last year. So suddenly that opens up all kinds of possibilities. Patriots, we know, you know, we've seen guys like the Garrett Blunt. We've seen not seasons from Sonny Michelle, but weeks from Sonny Michelle where they've been, you know, spike weeks from getting two or three carries um, inside the five-yard line that turned into touchdowns. And I think, um, Damian Harris can absolutely be that player. And, and I think that the Patriots are always going to have options. I think James White is going to have a role, but we know even if they have a receiving back taking significant snaps, that primary runner yep. can be valuable. And, you know, Armandre Stevenson could be that guy, I guess. Sony Michelle could be that guy. But again, at that ADP, like you said, Damian Harris has such upside. And, and, and I think the opportunity cost of, or the opportunity benefit, I guess, of waiting on him, and waiting on guys in this range, maybe, and getting those wide receivers, getting those tight ends, getting those quarterbacks rushing yes. upside in the earlier rounds is so valuable. Yes, especially you're just talking about roster construction right now. You know, a lot of people are either taking two running backs early, one that they're really anchoring their roster to at the position, and then waiting quite a bit. Again, being able to take either your third running back or maybe even your second running back with Damian Harris mm-hmm. and getting that workload when, again, he's going around a, a bunch of other names who don't have that same locked in workload, like, I don't know, Tony Pollard or Melvin Gordon or mm-hmm. Ronald Jones or Leonard Fournette, us getting Damian Harris in this area. Uh, I'm absolutely in love with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, will go with bell. A, I will go with a very different kind of player. A very different kind of 
player here. Way down the boards, wide receiver, Love it. 68, I Love believe, it. on underdog here. It's Traquan Smith. And I think again, this is this is what we're thinking about when it comes to um how we think about offenses changing and the kind of bet you want to make on offenses changing over the course of a year. I mean, with the Saints, obviously that offense is going to be different. Drew Brees is no longer there. And the quarterbacks they have to replace Drew Brees, neither of them look like Drew Brees. Uh, we have the Taysom Hill version of this offense where they are a run heavy. Run first football. Team. That's that's. I mean, that's fine. Like you, but at least you can prepare for that. I understand. I understand. You can at least prepare for that universe. And if you want to draft Taysom Hill, you're going to have the opportunity to do that. If you want to say they're going to be a super run heavy football team with Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, you have the opportunity to do that. I'm at least willing to consider the universe where Jameis Winston yeah. is this team's starting quarter. I know, and we're seeing we've seen Adam Troutman rise up fantasy boards so far this year, and it makes total sense. Um, Michael Thomas, of course, a guy who was a first round pick last year is going, you know, still pretty high. I think he's the wide receiver nine, nine now. So, I mean, that's typically going to be, you know, uh, end of second round, early third round, um, for Michael Thomas. And that makes sense. A guy coming off of injury, but a guy we know, um, can be a target monster. And then outside of Michael Thomas at wide receiver, I mean, it's Traquan Smith, Marcus Calloway, Deontay Harris. I mean, there's not a ton here and Trey Quan Smith you'd figure is going to be well positioned to not only sort of get a bigger role in the offense with James Winston is healthy, but also be more of a downfield receiver when James Winston is in the lineup because Trey Quan Smith over the last three years has been working with Drew Brees and Drew Brees's arm has been slowly falling off. And by last year, it was pretty much off. And, you know, I feel like having Trey Quan in that role where he's playing a significant percentage of snaps with an offense, with a quarterback we know can chuck it downfield and who is going most likely to chuck it downfield way more than Drew Brees did for the entirety of Trey Quan Smith's uh, career. I feel like that's an opportunity to, again, put your, your intuition, your ability to maybe read how things are going to change into practice. And it would not shock me at all if Trey Quan Smith had a breakout season and had a lot of spike weeks because... He's playing in an offense with a quarterback who can generate those spike weeks for the first time. Chaos is entertainment, Bill. Like <laughs> we we want to be a member of Team Chaos. Of course. And in order for that to happen, Jameis Winston needs to be the starter of this team because I mean the Drew Brees era was great. It was highly entertaining. It helped us a lot for fantasy football. It helped us a lot just to watch entertaining football. But I, I want to see. Jameis as a star of his team behind that offensive line, which was much better than the one that he left yep. in, in Tampa Bay, which was good. Then they added Tristan Wirfs, obviously when Tom Brady got there and it was taken to a whole nother level. Now I'm not trying to make excuses here for Jameis Winston and his 30 interceptions, but bill, when we think back to what the 2019 season, mm-hmm. um, I believe that Jameis Winston was a top five score in fancy points per mm-hmm. game, which is great. Now, Certainly Sean Payton is not going to have the same leash uh, in terms of allowing him to, to turn the football over that much, but guess who was number two and number three in fancy points per game at the wide receiver position, Chris Godwin and Mike Evans. Mm-hmm. And also guess who was number one, Michael Thomas, that year mm-hmm. was number one in fancy points per game. So when I look at that second tier of wide receivers, you know, it might range from now AJ Brown, all the way down to Mike Evans or Julio Jones, Michael Thomas sitting there at wide receiver nine. If you ask me in that second tier, who could either ascend into tier number one or even finish potentially as the number one overall wide receiver this year, I'm still nominating Michael Thomas because he has done it before. And that target tree, like you're talking about, it's narrow. But it's not a Drew Brees like passing game anymore. We kind of mm-hmm. want to see this football spread around. And so if it's not, it can't just be Michael Thomas. We don't even know about Adam Troutman, even though I'm buying him as a late round tight end. Mm-hmm. And so maybe Traquan is also the one that emerges. But really, the core of my comment is we got to get Jameis Winston as a starter. We got to <laughs> see this this season. Yes. I mean, but again, I just want to I just want to be open. If you are a Taysom Hill supporter. You can pick him in the 19th or 20th round in leagues. And hey, if he's a starter, man, you are set. Like you have a 
a, a top 10 quarterback when you assume his yeah. rushing floor is going to be, and you can spend less money on quarterback elsewhere. Um, so you have the opportunity to approach us however you do, but yes, I am hoping that, t- that, uh, Jameis Winston is the starter. Of course. Um, should we flip it? Should can I do one more real quick please, before, please. since I'm just such a positive person, please. uh, Robbie Anderson is going as wide receiver 32, mm-hmm. even though last year he finished as wide receiver 26 in fantasy points per game. And I know that that can be a bit of a trap to fall into saying, oh, he finished this high last year. And why is he being drafted after in that ADP this year? Because we know injuries happen and that's why sure. players get moved up. But again, when you look at the structure of the team, the narrative of the team, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson are going to get theirs this year. And I actually think last season might've been their floor for production. When you consider that Curtis Samuel was on the roster. I mean, I think nationally we've kind of overlooked that Joe Brady with Teddy Bridgewater and PJ Walker as his quarterbacks Mm -hmm. created an offense that had four 1000 scrimmage yard players on it. And Mike Davis, Curtis Samuel, DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. I mean, that's an incredible feat. And what Joe Brady did last year, with Robbie Anderson was like totally changed the public's generalization and view of him. I mean, he had a career average a dot average depth of target of 16 yards Mm -hmm. that dropped all the way down to 9.8 yards, which directly led him to 502 yards after contact last season. Now also big picture, the Panthers were awful in like game winning scenarios last year. They were awful in the red zone Mm -hmm. and DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson only combined for seven receiving touchdowns last year. I'm not necessarily saying he can get seven by himself, but I am saying it's not like his opportunity is going to drop this year and using him on the inside, using him on the outside, using him on shorter and intermediate, and obviously that downfield routes that maybe Sam Darnold can open up a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Robbie Anderson at wide receiver 32, I am exiting every single draft with him right now. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that is such a reliable stack to build. You know, if you want to yes. get that core uh, of that Panthers team, you could take Christian McCaffrey and go after the passing weapons, given how, how much he's included in the passing game. Or you could get that that uh, DJ Moore, Robbie Anderson, Sam Darnold stack. And um, again, if that goes off, you're going to be feeling great because Sam Darnold is going pretty late. And, and you can obviously um, get Robbie Anderson, it seems like, at a very decent price. I think DJ Moore, honestly, um, still has a good amount of upside. Um, I, I know that he last year was kind of disappointing, I suppose, in some ways, like, um, you know, he catches were down only four touchdowns again um, for the second consecutive year. Um, but I mean, a guy who was averaging 18 yards per catch, like, you know, w- w- with both DJ Moore and with Robbie Anderson, we've seen them play different roles. We've seen them have different a dots and have different um you know, have different uses, but we know they're capable of either. We know, like, we yeah. know that basically those guys can be anything from week to week. And I think that's really exciting. So, um, and I'll, I'll throw out Terrace Marshall too. Not, mm-hmm. and I'm, I find myself in these dangerous scenarios. I've been talking up the Jets offense on other shows, Bill, and now I'm talking up the Panthers offense attached to Sam Darnold. Maybe that's a mistake, but mm-hmm. Terrace Marshall at wide receiver 67 right now. I mean, he has a history with Joe Brady. In fact, back in 2019, as just a sophomore in college in an offense, that had Jamar Chase, that had Justin Jefferson. Terrace Marshall still scored 13 touchdowns. Um, I just talked about the difficulty the Panthers had in the red zone. And Joe Brady cares more about his number three wide receiver than he does about his number one tight end when it comes mm-hmm. to the passing game. And so, you know, they weren't able to have a one-for-one replacement for Curtis Samuel. I'm not saying Terrace Marshall is. But the only receiver that they brought in in free agency was, was David Moore. And you couldn't get more opposite. So I wouldn't be surprised at all when Terrace Marshall during his final year at LSU played Mm -hmm. the majority of snaps in the slot. Um, I bet they rotate all three there, but he just offers something different. I mean, he, he has that six two two Oh five plus frame Mm -hmm. who can win in contested catches was the best in college football in that area is an athletic developing younger prospect. And if, if he stays healthy and wins that job, Terrace Marshall will crush that 67 wide receiver ADP right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's so much opportunity for that offense. And again, if you're someone who believes in Sam Darnold, here's your chance. Like yeah. we know he's going to have the weapons. The line is okay. I guess, you know, I'm still concerned about the tackle, about left tackle a little bit, but, oh yeah, um, you know, I mean, there's definitely upside there by all means. And 
Um, you know, if you think Sam Darnold's going to be a, a top 15 quarterback and you can invest in that appropriately. Um, all right. We'll hit a couple negatives as we finish up here. Um, I don't want to be too mean. And, and again, like last year, I thought Stefan Diggs would have been a guy who I would not have been investing in. And so I, I would take these with a grain of salt to be fair, at least from my side. But uh, Josh, is there a player who you're trying to avoid at his current ADP? Oh, outright avoiding, not just trying, absolutely doing it. And maybe you can talk me succeeding. into him. <laughs> yes, succeeding greatly. Uh, it's what I'm best at right now. Uh, <laughs> and if I'm, if you think I'm wrong, tell me. Uh, I will. And this might be too simplified, but Bill, I just don't want to invest in the worst team in the NFL. I, I don't want to invest in the worst offense in the NFL. And I know that even as this team's number one wide receiver, Brandon Cook's going as wide receiver 41 when – he still has a boatload of 1,000-yard seasons during his career. That might be blasphemous to say I'm, I'm avoiding him. Mm-hmm. But again, I, I just think that the Texans are going to be absolutely miserable to watch. I mean, the Jets last year scored 15 points per game mm-hmm. on offense. I think the Texans are even worse. I would put them maybe around 12 to 13 points per game on average this year. When you look back to that Jets team, yes, Jamison Crowder was absolutely usable in best ball and in fantasy f- formats. I mean, he averaged mm-hmm. about 13 and a half points per contest, but the two styles, at least to me and where I expect them to be used as are, are drastically different. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jamison Crowder had a seven and a half average depth of target 5.6 yards after catch. Brandon cooks is about 12 yards in terms mm-hmm. of average depth of target, just over four yards per catch. So he's not like one of those accumulators who takes underneath catches and is able to create something afterwards. He, he kind of needs a, a downfield opportunities to, to hit. Mm-hmm. And again, I just go back to it. I, I just would rather go with, I'm not saying good teams. I'm investing in some bad teams. I'm talking about the Bengals earlier, right? I think that's still going to be a good offense, despite them being almost certainly fourth in the AFC North mm-hmm. this year. I just think overall the Texans are going to be bad. And while some might say, well, their defense is going to be miserable, so the offense is going to have to put up points. Well, they're going to lose games because they can't put up points offensively, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and that's how teams are bad. It's not just, you know, chasing and garbage time. I don't really buy into that as much as other people. So I'm basically just flat out avoiding all Texans. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one thing if you're the Bucks, right? If you're the, the Jameis Winston era Bucks, where you know that offense is effective. Like, their offense is good. They might just turn the ball over a ton. And so, you know if you have a good offense and you're getting those extra possessions late in games where you are throwing the ball a ton, like you might throw some picks of course, but you're going to have opportunities to score. I don't think this Texans offense is going to be good, which is why I'm extremely frustrated that you named one of the players who were on my list for players. I was avoiding (laughs) Um, the only wide receiver. In fact, on the list was Brandon cooks. And I absolutely agree. I mean, I, I have been a big Tyrod Taylor fan in the past and maybe he figures it out um in Houston but I mean the last three years in Cleveland and with the Chargers just has not been good he has not been an NFL caliber quarterback when you've seen him play completing over just a little over 51 percent of his passes um a passer rating of 70.7 getting sacked 11 percent of the time I mean I don't think there's even been much in terms of rushing I mean he did have one rushing touchdown in his uh his couple starts with the Browns, but 139 rushing yards and a score over four starts, not nothing, but not as if he is, you know, offering a super high floor for you. And so as a passer, I mean, I, I, I'm not thrilled. I mean, the, the Texans did use their first pick in this year's draft, a third rounder on Davis Mills. So which just has like the Jimmy Clausen situation written all over. Of course it does. Like you you draft a guy in round two who will probably get some starts during his rookie season. I mean, I know they drafted him around three, but it's it's along the same story that then he's most likely bad. And then you just replace him the next year and forget about him immediately. But maybe that's just negative Norris coming out here. I mean, but that's, that's certainly within the realm of possibility. I mean, with Tyra Taylor, you know, he has to play well and he has to be, good enough to keep Davis Mills off the football field. Um, and again, maybe there's people drafting Brandon Cooks, assuming Deshaun Watson's coming back. And I think that's a reasonable, um, if you believe that, then yes, you want Brandon Cooks. because That's going to be a really valuable player, but I don't think that's very likely. And so I'm absolutely avoiding him. I think I've drafted him once in one my too many. so far. <laughs> my, it might be. That might be one too many. That's totally fair. 
Um, but no, I mean, that's reasonable. I, I absolutely think that you're seeing people draft him off of his stat line from a year ago and not accounting for the fact that this could be, like you said, the worst offense in football yep. and honestly, not even close. Like yep. it, it, it could really be a significantly, significantly bad offense. Because um, if, if you were going to put a second one, it might be the lions. Um, and I, I actually had to Jandre Swift on here, but I don't know how much I want to just dive into him specifically, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I've, I've questioned and it's got me in trouble some week to week's time, but overall like big picture look uh, being out on Jared Goff might be okay. Mm-hmm. And based on, you know, his own team basically showing us that they wanted to upgrade on him this off season. Yes. Uh, but at least with the lions, you know that you have a capable running back and mm-hmm. most importantly, Bill, you have an offense that on paper could be, you know, top 10 in the NFL. Right. And so an offensive line creating that structure, creating and allowing Jared to succeed on script that might give them more leverage to be slightly better than the Texans. Does that make yeah, sense? It does. I, I, I don't think the lions are as desperate to lose as the Texans should be. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like the Texans, the ideal scenario for them this year is they get the first overall pick. They get to trade to Sean Watson. They get to start over. And for the lions, you know, maybe, maybe, the ideal situation is to get the first overall pick for the lions and they don't realize it, but I do believe that they want to win and they're closer to winning. I think than the Texans are given what the Texans have assembled, especially on the offensive side of the football. Um, you mentioned Deandre Swift. I was going to bring him up as well. That almost seems too obvious. I agree. Like, like, like I think, you know, every week we're seeing quotes from lions camp about how, uh, Jamal Williams is going to be a, you know, features as a, a meaningful back. They bring in Todd Gurley. Like we're, we're one step away from like, you know, priest Holmes showing up in camp and them just being what like, yeah, pool. I what mean, you know, priest is a solid back with history of success. We got to get him in the lineup. So uh, I think, I think Kendra Swift's ADP is going to fall is already fallen. I think, and it's going to continue to fall in the weeks to come. I want to give you a juicier one that you might disagree with. When it comes to the negative here, I hope I do. I'm I'm gonna say Derrick Henry. Oh, interesting. Okay. I'm gonna say Derrick Henry, who is, I believe, the running back three. Yep, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, but let's let's start with the basics here. Derrick Henry is an awesome running back. He is super talented. Nobody is suggesting Derrick Henry when he's on the football field and 100 is not a devastating player. And we have two years of evidence now saying that if you're going to be skeptical of Derrick Henry you're going to regret it. I mean, he has been super productive. He has been a DFS league winner, DFS week to week winner. He has been a fantasy league winner. He has been awesome. Derrick Henry carried the ball 378 times last year. I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's it's like, you know, it, it is a staggering, staggering workload for Derrick Henry. And yes, I know he is a big, strong man and he can take that workload, but like time after time, We've seen people say, hey, X player can take it. X player can take the workload. Arian Foster can take the workload. Christian McCaffrey can take the workload. These guys break down. It's just too tough of a position to count on uh, a guy being this significant when it comes to carry totals on a week-after-week basis. Um, As a receiver, I think it's fair to say he is limited. I mean, he has one long screen for a touchdown over the past couple of years that kind of goosed up his um, yards per reception last year. But I mean, he is basically a dump off guy and maybe the occasional screen. Like he's not going to be a significant part of the receiving game. Um, I mean, he set career records last year, Bill, with 19 catches. That's true. He did, <laughs> did top 18 from the year before. I, I, I don't know. I, I wasn't watching Josh. Did they stop the game to celebrate the, uh, the 19th catch the 19th there? Catch. It's like the Emmett Smith moment when yeah. everyone... This is one of the Drew Brees, the Peyton Manning moments. I yes. guess my only question here with Derrick Henry is how many backs you're taking over him. Because I know you're still taking him. Like, let's say if oh, he's for running sure. back, I don't know, seven and still on the board. But so are you taking, I'm assuming, Alvin Kamara over yes. him? Yes. Are you taking sure. Saquon Barkley, who's going as running back four right now, over him? I mean, there's no history of injuries with Saquon Barkley. I'm sure he'll be <laughs> fine. Um, yeah, I think I would take Saquon Barkley as well. 
Okay. Ezekiel Elliott mm-hmm. is up there. Nick Chubb. I mean, I'm just kind of going down this list. Cam Akers. Uh, any of those names over Derek? Because I know you love him. And I know we love the situation. I know we the opportunity is there. It's odd. I kind of feel like the receiving work and lack of, I should say, is, is baked in. Another cliche mm-hmm. in our best ball streets. Um, because, I mean, this is a team that like would throw Jeremy, Jeremy McNichols out there in certain situations to like get him receiving work instead of Derek Henry. And yeah. I, I don't know that I was out on the tech on the Titans before they made the Julio Jones trade mm-hmm. uh, because it felt like, oh, we need to bring the band back together for the third year. And it just felt like everyone was not worse, but they weren't as deep and mm-hmm. I, I think the Arthur Smith loss is something we absolutely need to talk about because, oh, for sure. you know, the Titans for years feels like have been one of the best teams inside the 20 yard line in the red zone in terms of touchdown percentage. And do we, I know they hired from within, so they want to do exactly the same stuff. It feels like I'm sure it's not going to be that easy, but he's being drafted. Like it is going to be that easy. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm with you there, but the receiving work, you know, I'm not saying he's ever going to catch 30 passes, Mm -hmm. but I also would like him. I mean, he would then also have to again, cross that 300 carry mark this year to hit, to hit his ADP probably too. think about how many times they have to stop the game. If you have 30 catches, that'd be just a (laughs) constant stream of, of, of just game postponement, 14, 15, 16. You you would just have to have everything on the ready seemingly week after week. And I think the other thing that comes to mind to me when it comes to the Julio Jones trade, is something Mina Kimes brought up when I was talking with the trade on her podcast. I talked with her about it on her podcast and that, you know, Julio Jones, yes, he is a replacement for Corey Davis. He is a replacement for Johnny Smith to some extent, but you have to wonder whether Julio Jones is a sort of hedge on Derrick Henry's workload um, Hmm. where they might become a more pass happy team. Of course, I don't think they're going to turn into the chiefs or anything. I'm not saying that, but I think, you know, when you trade for Julio Jones, I think one of the reasons you do it is thinking, okay, you know, we're going to throw the ball a little more, not, not a ton more, but at least, you know, on first and 10, we're not going to be maybe the second most run heavy team in the league in neutral situations. And, you know, I, I think as you project what Derek Henry's workload is going to be like, I think even if he's healthy for 17 games, I was going to say 16, 17 games this year, like I think you're projecting him for somewhere in the 300 to 325 range as opposed to 378. And that might be fine. Um, I, th- I think he can deliver a running back three return from there. Yeah. But, you know, again, that that's sort of the most likely scenario. Sorry, that's the, you know, probably the 90th percentile outcome to me for his season, assuming he stays healthy. And, and I think just, you know, you go through the track record of guys with this sort of workload over the past 20 years, you know, you're, you're, you're basically betting on Derrick Henry being a dramatic exception to the rule. Right. And maybe he is, but so, that's the sort of decision you have to make. So what you're basically saying is you take Mike Davis over Derrick Henry right now. Mike Davis is a, a proven three down back with I freaking love Mike Davis success. as running back 22. I freaking love it. Um, okay. I'll close this out with one more negative, just quick. Please. And it hurts me to do this because every year this guy gets doubted. Oh, he's going to get injured. Oh, how dare you? He's not going to play a full season. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I drafted Will Fuller last year, I laughed at those people because he was awesome, but this is not the same situation. It is. Uh, Will Fuller is walking into this year. I mean, with the tech, with the Texans in 2020, he had an A dot of 13.3 yards, which was a career low, I might add, Bill. Now, how many Dolphins wide receivers do you think had an A dot above 12 yards last year, Bill? I would guess zero. It was only one, and his okay. name is Preston Williams. Ooh, uh, yes. So what I'm getting at here is where Will Fuller wins is not where he's going to rack up opportunities on the Dolphins unless Tua just takes a gigantic leap forward and changes into something that we didn't see. I'm I'm not out on Tua by any means. I just think when you look at where Will Fuller is being drafted at wide receiver 37, that's ahead of the likes of Curtis Samuel, who I've already waxed poetic about. (laughs) And it's also eight spots ahead of Jalen Waddell, who's going as wide receiver 45. And if you ask me right now, who's going to have more catches and more yards in this offense, 
Jalen Waddle's skill set to me fits Will Fuller. I think the Dolphins had a bunch of money that they could spend this offseason. They wanted to surround Tua with playmakers because they wanted to see what they had. And so Will Fuller might play more of a role, like be more real life important than he is mm-hmm. fantasy football important. And it pains me to say because I loved him last year, but at wide receiver 37, I'm just not getting a lot of shares. Yeah. I mean, hmm. I love Will Fuller. Me this too, is, man. This is, this is the tough part. I this is the wrong day to say this because the internet is abuzz with Tua throwing like four interceptions in practice or whatever. But I kind of think Tua is going to be a lot better this year. I am a I Tua believer. Yeah. Um, and I and I think again, that's the decision you have to make. If you think Tua is going to be a totally different player, then I think Will Fuller makes sense at his current ADP. If you think Tua is going to be a little better then he doesn't make sense. And, and I think the points you bring up are totally fair. Um, and, and I think even if he's going, even if a is going to be a deep threat, um, there's competition for that role. Preston Williams is coming back. I mean, Devontae Parker is not Will Fuller, but he is a guy who we will throw up 50, 50 balls to here and there. I mean, Jalen Waddle could be a guy who makes plays downfield as well. I mean, there's all opportunity. It would shock me if Will Fuller got the sort of, receiving workload and target share that he got in Houston a year ago. And I also don't want to be like the, the PEDs guy, but like Bull Fuller also has one healthy season in his career. And it's a season that ended with him getting suspended for PED usage. Like, you know, I, I there's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of ways to, to see Will Fuller not delivering on expectations. And as someone who really likes Will Fuller really yes. thinks he is a top 15 receiver in the NFL when he's healthy and on the field. I don't want to say that, but I, I think that's a fair criticism to bring up. This is why we don't dislike players. We right. just dislike where they are drafted. That's we it. Just dislike ADPs. Yes. That's all that matters. Um, all right, Josh, I, I want, we could go through this all day in terms of players we like or dislike, but you have your own podcast where people can hear you pontificating about this very topic. I do. I do. Uh, I didn't get to talk about Rashad Bateman, by the way. Go draft him as well. Uh, the Underdog Football Show. Everyone check it out. It's on every podcast platform out there. We also are on the YouTube channel, Underdog Fantasy. Um, Bill, this was an absolute blast. I'm so glad that you're into basketball because I'm into it as well. It allows us to keep this conversation going all the way from June, all the way until week one. And the world is a better place because of it. <laughs> there's no there's no weeks off, sadly, anymore. Like the Julio week was the one week where I was like, okay, I'm going to go turn off my phone. And it lasted like three <laughs> hours. It was terrible. Josh, thank you so much for coming on. Absolutely, Bill. Anytime. Thanks, buddy. All right. Thanks so much again to Josh Norris. Uh, check out the Underdog Football Show. Definitely a podcast where you learn a lot about baseball, but also about fantasy football and how people are perceiving the league as we get closer to the NFL season. Um, hope you guys enjoyed this one. Uh, we'll try and hit some more football topics, of course, in the weeks to come. Not a lot happening right now. I'm focusing mostly on Euros, but I hope you guys are enjoying that on ESPN Plus, or sorry, on ESPN, I think on ESPN Plus as well. You can stream it, but um, thanks so much for listening. More football audio on the way.